Part Two, Chapters One and Two of Doctor Doolittle's Post Office. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Doctor Doolittle's Post Office by Hugh Lofting. Part Two, Chapter One: A Most Unusual Post Office. Nobody thought, not even John Doolittle himself, when the Swallow Mail was first started what a tremendous system it would finally grow into and what a lot of happenings and ideas would come about through it of course such an entirely new thing as this required a great deal of learning and working out before it could be made to run smoothly something new some fresh problem cropped up every day but although the doctor at all times a busy man was positively worked to death he found it all so interesting that he didn't mind but the motherly dab-dab was dreadfully worried about him for indeed at the beginning he seemed never to sleep at all certainly in the whole history of the world there never was another post-office like the doctor's for one thing it was a houseboat post-office for another tea was served to everybody the clerks and the customers as well regularly at four o'clock every afternoon with cucumber sandwiches on sundays Paddling over to the foreign mail post office for afternoon tea became quite the fashionable thing to do among the more up-to-date fantippins. A large awning was put over the back entrance, forming a pleasant sort of veranda with a good view of the ocean and the bay. And if you dropped in for a stamp around four o'clock, as likely as not you would meet the king there and all the other high notables of fantipple sipping tea another thing in which the doctor's post-office was peculiar was its pens most post-offices the doctor had found always had abominably bad pens that spluttered and scratched and wouldn't write in fact very many post-offices even nowadays seem to pride themselves on their bad pens but the doctor saw to it that his pens were of the very best quality of course in those times there were no steel pens only quills were used and john doolittle got the albatrosses and the seagulls to keep for him their tail feathers which fell out in the molting season and of course with such a lot of quills to choose from it was easy to have the best pins in the post office still another thing in which the doctor's post office was different from all others was the gum used on the stamps the supply of gum which the king had been using for his stamps ran short and the doctor had to set about discovering and making a new kind and after a good deal of experiment he invented a gum made of licorice which dried quickly and worked very well but as i have said the fantippins were very fond of sweetmeats and soon after the new gum was put into use the post office was crowded with people buying stamps by the hundred at first the doctor could not understand this sudden new rush of business which kept Tutu, the cashier, working overtime every night, adding up the day's takings. The post office safe could hardly hold all the money taken in, and the overflow had to be put in a vase on the kitchen mantelpiece. But presently the doctor noticed that after they had licked the gum off the stamps, the customers would bring them back and want to exchange them for money again. Now it is a rule that all post offices have to exchange their own stamps when asked for the price paid for them so long as they are not torn or marked it doesn't matter whether the gum has been locked off or not so the doctor saw that he would have to change his kind of gum if he wanted to keep stamps that would stick 
and one day the king's brother came to the post-office with a terrible cough and asked him in the same breath or gasp to give him five halfpenny stamps and a cure for a cough this gave the doctor an idea and the next gum which he invented for his stamps he called whooping cough gum he made it out of a special kind of sweet sticky cough mixture he also invented a bronchitis gum a mumps gum and several others and whenever there was a catching disease in the town the doctor would see that the proper kind of gum to cure it was issued on the stamps it saved him a lot of trouble because the people were always bothering him to cure colds and sore throats and things and he was the first postmaster general to use this kind of getting rid of sickness by serving round pleasant medicine on the backs of stamps he called it stamping out an epidemic one evening at six o'clock jip shut the doors of the post office as usual and hung up the sign closed as he always did at that hour the doctor heard the bolts being shot and he stopped counting postcards and took out his pipe to have a smoke the first hard work of getting the post office in full swing was now over and that night john doodle felt when he heard the doors being shut that at last he could afford to keep more regular hours and not be working all the time and when jip came inside the registered mail booth he found the doctor leaning back in a chair with his feet on the desk gazing around him with great satisfaction well jip he said with a sigh we now have a real working post office yes said jip putting down his watchman's lantern and a mighty good one it is too there isn't another like it anywhere you know said john doodle although we opened more than a week ago i haven't myself written a single letter yet fancy living in a post office for a week and never writing a letter look at that drawer there ordinarily the sight of so many stamps would make me write dozens of letters all my life i've never had a stamp when i really wanted to write a letter and funny thing now that i'm living and sleeping in a post office i can't think of a single person to write to it's a shame said jip and you with such beautiful handwriting too as well as a drawer full of stamps never mind think of all the animals that are waiting to hear from you of course there's sarah the doctor went on puffing at his pipe dreamily poor dear sarah i wonder whom she married but there you are i haven't her address so i can't write to sarah and i don't suppose any of my old patients would want to hear from me i know cried jip write to the cat's meat man he can't read said the doctor gloomily no but his wife can said jip that's true murmured the doctor but what shall i write to him about just at that moment speedy the skimmer came in and said doctor we've got to do something about the city deliveries in fantippo my postbirds are not very good at finding the right houses to deliver the letters you see we swallows although we nest in houses are not regular city birds we pick out lonely houses as a rule in the country city streets are a bit difficult for swallows to find their way round in some of the postbirds have brought back the letters they took out this morning to deliver saying they can't find the houses they are addressed to hmm said the doctor that's too bad let me think a minute oh i know 
I'll send for Cheapside. Who is Cheapside? asked Speedy. Cheapside is a London sparrow, said the doctor, who visits me every summer in Puddleby. The rest of the year he lives around St. Paul's Cathedral. He builds his nest in St. Edmund's left ear. Where? cried Jip. In the left ear of a statue of St. Edmund on the outside of the chancel. The cathedral, you know. The doctor explained. Cheapside's the very fellow we want for city deliveries. There's nothing about houses and towns he doesn't know. I'll send for him right away. I'm afraid, said Speedy, that a postbird, unless he was a city bird himself, would have a hard job finding a sparrow in London. It's an awful big city, isn't it? Yes, that's so, said John Doodlittle. Listen, Doctor, said Jip. You were wondering just now what to write the cat's meat man about. Let Speedy write the letter to Cheapside in Bird Scribble, and you enclose it in a letter to the cat's meat man. Then, when the sparrow comes to Puddleby for his summer visit, the cat's meat man can give it to him. Splendid, cried the doctor, and he snatched a piece of paper off the desk and started to write. And you might ask him too, put in Dab-Dab, who had been listening to take a look at the back windows of the house, to see that none of them is broken. We don't want the rain coming in on the beds. All right, said the doctor. I'll mention that. So the doctor's letter was written and addressed to Matthew Mugg, Esquire, Cat's Meat Merchant, Puddleby on the Marsh, Slopshire, England, and it was sent off by Quip the carrier. The doctor did not expect an answer to it right away, because the cat's meat man's wife was a very slow reader and a still slower writer. And anyhow, Cheapside could not be expected to visit Puddleby for another week yet. He always stayed in London until after the Easter Bank holiday. His wife refused to let him leave for the country till the spring family had been taught by their father how to find the houses where people threw out crumbs, how to pick up oats from under the cab horse's nosebags without being stamped on by the horse's hoofs, how to get about in the trafficy streets of London, and a whole lot of other things that young city birds have to know. In the meantime, while Quip was gone, life went forward busily and happily at the doctor's post office. The animals, Tutu, Dab-Dab, Gub-Gub, the Push-Me-Pull-You, the White Mouse, and Jip all agreed that they found living in a houseboat post office great fun. Whenever they got tired of their floating home, they would go off for picnic parties to the island of No Man's Land, which was now more often called by the name John Doolittle had given it. The Animal's Paradise On these trips, too, the doctor sometimes accompanied them. He was glad to, because he so got an opportunity of talking with the many different kinds of animals there about the signs they were in the habit of using. And on these signs, which he carefully put down in notebooks, he built up a sort of written language for animals to use, or animal scribble, as he called it, the same as he had done with the birds. Whenever he could spare the time, he held afternoon scribbling classes for the animals in the great hollow, and they were very well attended. He found the monkeys, of course, the easiest to teach, and because they were so clever, he made some of them into assistant teachers. But the zebras were quite bright, too. The doctor discovered that these intelligent beasts had ways of marking and twisting the grasses to show where they had smelled lions about. 
though happily they did not have to use this trick in the animal's paradise but had brought it with them when they had swum across from the mainland of africa the doctor's pets found it quite thrilling to go through the mail that arrived each day to see if there were any letters for them at the beginning of course there wasn't much but one day quip had returned from puddleby with an answer to the doctor's letter to the cat's meat man mr matthew mugg had written through his wife that he had hung the letter for cheapside on an apple tree in the garden where the sparrow would surely see it when he arrived the windows of the house were all right he wrote but the back door could do with a coat of paint and while quip had been waiting for this letter to be written he had filled in the time at puddleby by gossiping with all the starlings and blackbirds in the doctor's garden about the wonderful new animals post office on the island of no man's land and pretty soon every creature in and around puddleby had got to hear of it after that of course letters began to arrive at the houseboat for the doctor's pets and one morning when the mail was sorted there was a letter for dab-dab from her sister one for the white mouse written by a cousin from the doctor's bureau drawer one for jip from the collie who lived next door in puddleby and one for tutu telling him he had a new family of six young ones in the rafters of the stable but there was nothing for gub-gub the poor pig was nearly in tears at being left out and when the doctor went into town that afternoon gub-gub asked if he could come along the next day the postbirds complained that the mail was an extra heavy one and when it was sorted there were ten thick letters for gub-gub and none for anybody else jip got suspicious about this and looked over gub-gub's shoulder while he opened them in each one there was a banana skin who sent you those asked jip i sent them to myself said gub-gub from fantipo yesterday i don't see why you fellows should get all the mail nobody writes to me so i write to myself chapter two cheapside it was a great day in the doctor's post office when cheapside the london sparrow arrived from puddleby to look after the city deliveries for fantippo the doctor was eating his lunch of sandwiches at the information desk when the little bird popped his head through the window and said in his cheeky cockney voice hello doctor here we are again what oh the old firm who'd have thought you'd come to this cheapside was a character anyone on seeing him for the first time would probably guess that he spent his life in city streets his whole expression was different from other birds in speedy's eyes for instance though nobody would dream of thinking him stupid there was an almost noble look of country honesty but in the eyes of cheapside the london sparrow there was a saucy daredevil expression that seemed to say don't you think for one moment you'll ever get the better of me i'm a cockney bird why cheapside cried john doodle at last you've come my but it's good to see you did you have a pleasant journey not bad not half bad said cheapside eyeing some crumbs from the doctor's lunch which lay upon the desk nice stones pretty decent travelling hot well i should say it was hot hot enough for an otten tot quaint place you have here sort of a barge 
by this time all the animals had heard cheapside arriving and they came rushing to see the traveller and to hear the news of puddleby and england how is the old horse in the stable asked john doolittle pretty spry said cheapside course he ain't as young as he used to be but he's lively enough for an old un he asked me to bring you a bunch of crimson ramblers just bloomin over the stable door they was but i says to him i says what do you take me for an omnibus fancy a fella at my time of life carrying a bunch of roses all the way down the atlantic folks would think i was going to a wedding at the south pole gracious cheapside said the doctor laughing it makes me quite homesick for england to hear your cockney chirp and me too sighed jip were there many rats in the woodshed cheapside hundreds of em said the sparrow as big as rabbits and that uppish you'd think they owned the place mm, i'll soon settle them when i get back said jip i hope we go soon how does the garden look cheapside asked the doctor i won said the sparrow weeds in the paths of course but the iris under the kitchen window looked something lovely they did anything new in london asked the white mouse who was also city-bred yes said cheapside there's always something doing in good old london i've got a new kind of cab that goes on two wheels instead of four a man called Ansem invented it much faster than the old acnes they are you see em everywhere and there's a new greengrocer's shop near the royal exchange i'm going to have a greengrocer's shop of my own when i grow up murmured gub-gub in england where they grow good vegetables i'm awfully tired of africa and then i'll watch the new vegetables coming into season all the year round pooh he's always talking about that said tutu such an ambition in life to have Ooh, to run a greengrocer's shop ah england cried gub-gub sentimentally what is there more beautiful in life than the heart of a young lettuce in the spring Hark at him said cheapside raising his eyebrows i need a poetical porker why don't you write a bunch of sonnets to the skunkiest cabbages of louisiana mr bacon well now look here cheapside said the doctor we want you to get these city deliveries straightened out for us in the town of antipo our post birds are having great difficulty finding the right houses to take letters to you're a city bird born and bred do you think you can help us i'll see what i can do for you doc said the sparrow after i've taken a look around this heathen town of yours but first i want a bath i'm all head up from flying under a broiling sun ain't you got no puddles round here for a bird to take a bath in mm, no this isn't a puddly climate said the doctor you're not in england you know but i'll bring you my shaving mug and you can take a bath in that mind you wash the soap out first doc chirped the sparrow gets in me eyes the next day after cheapside had had a good sleep to rest up from his long journey the doctor took the london sparrow to show him around the town of antipo 
well doc said cheapside after they had seen the sights as a town i don't think much of it really i don't it's big i'll say that for it i had no idea they had towns as big as this in africa but the streets is so narrow i can see why they don't have no cabs here hardly room for a goat to pass let alone a four-wheeler and as for the houses they seem to be made of the insides of old mattresses the first thing we'll have to do is make old king coconut till his subjects to put door knockers on their doors what is home without a door knocker i'd like to know of course your postman can't deliver the letters and they've no knockers to knock with i'll attend to that said the doctor i'll see the king about it this afternoon and then they've got no letter boxes in the doors said cheapside there ought to be slots made to poke the letters in the only place these bloomin evens have for a postman to put a letter is down the chimney very well said the doctor i'll attend to that too shall i have the letter boxes in the middle of the door or would you like them on one side put em on each side of the doors do to every house said cheapside what's that for asked the doctor that's ah, a little idea of mine said the sparrow we'll have one box for the bills and one for the sure enough letters you see people are so disappointed when they hear the postman's knock and come to the door expecting to find a nice letter from a friend or news that money's been left em and all they get is a bill from the tailor but if we have two boxes on each door one marked bills and the other letters the postman can put all the bills in one box and the honest letters in the other as i said it's a little idea of mine we might as well be real up to date what do you think of it i think it's a splendid notion said the doctor then the people need only have one disappointment when they clear the bill box on the day set aside for paying their debts that's the idea said cheapside and tell the postbirds as soon as we've got the knockers on to knock once for a bill and twice for a letter so the folks in the house will know whether to come and get the mail or not oh, i tell you we'll show these poor pagans a thing or two before we're finished we'll have a post office in found tipsy that really is a post office and now how about the christmas boxes doctor postmen always expect a handsome present round christmas time you know well i'm rather afraid said the doctor doubtfully that these people don't celebrate christmas as a holiday don't celebrate christmas cried cheapside in a shocked voice what a disgraceful scandal well look here doctor you just tell king coco butter that if he and his people don't celebrate the festive season by giving us postbirds christmas boxes there ain't going to be no mail delivered in found tipsy from new year's to easter and you can tell him i said so it's high time somebody enlightened his ignorance all right said the doctor i'll attend to that too tell him said cheapside we'll expect two lumps of sugar on every doorstep christmas morning for the postbirds no sugar no letters that afternoon the doctor called upon the king and explained to him the various things that cheapside wanted and his majesty gave in to them every one beautiful brass knockers were screwed on all the doors light ones which the birds could easily lift and very elegant they looked 
by far the most up-to-date part of the ramshackle dwellings the double boxes were also put up with one place for bills and one for the letters john doolittle instructed king coco as well in the meaning of christmas time which should be a season for giving gifts and among the fantippo people the custom of making presents at christmas became very general not only to postmen but to friends and relatives too that is why when several years after the doctor had left this country some missionaries visited that part of africa they found to their astonishment that christmas was celebrated there although the people were heathens but they never learned that the custom had been brought about by cheapside the cheeky london sparrow and now very soon cheapside took entire charge of the city delivery of mails in fantippo of course as soon as the mail began to get heavy when the people got the habit of writing more to their friends and relatives cheapside could not deal with all the mail himself so he sent a message by swallow to get fifty sparrows from the streets of london who were like himself accustomed to city ways to help him with the delivery of letters and around the native holiday seasons the harvest moon and the coming of the rains he had to send for fifty more to deal with the extra mail and if you happened to pass down the main street of fantippo at nine in the morning or four in the afternoon you would hear the rat-tat-tat of the post sparrows knocking at the doors tat-tat if it was a real letter and just rat if it was a bill of course they could not carry more than one or two letters at a time being such small birds but it only took them a moment to fly back to the houseboat for another load where tutu was waiting for them at the city window with piles of mail sorted out into boxes marked central west central southwest etc for the different parts of the town this was another idea of cheapside's to divide up the city into districts the same as they did in london so the mail could be delivered quickly without too much hunting for streets cheapside's help was indeed most valuable to the doctor the king himself said that the mails were wonderfully managed the letters were brought regularly and never left at the wrong house he had only one fault had cheapside and that was being cheeky whenever he got into an argument his cockney swearing was just dreadful and in spite of the doctor's having issued orders time and time again that he expected his post-office clerks and mail-birds to be strictly polite to the public cheapside was always getting into rows which he usually started himself one day when king coco's pet white peacock came to the doctor and complained that the cockney sparrow had made faces at him over the palace wall the doctor became quite angry and read the city manager a long lecture then cheapside got together a gang of his tough london sparrow friends and one night they flew into the palace garden and mobbed the white peacock and pulled three feathers out of his beautiful tail this last piece of rowdyism was too much for john doolittle and calling up cheapside he discharged him on the spot though he was very sorry to do it but when the sparrow went all his london friends went with him and the post office was left with no city birds to attend to the city deliveries the swallows and other birds tried their hardest to get letters around to the houses properly but they couldn't and before long complaints began to come in from the townspeople then the doctor was sorry and wished he hadn't discharged cheapside who seemed to be the only one who could manage this part of the mails properly 
but one day to the doctor's great delight though he had tried hard to look angry cheapside strolled into the post office with a straw in the corner of his mouth looking as though nothing had happened john doolittle had thought that he and his friends had gone home to london but they hadn't they knew the doctor would need them and they had just hung around outside the town and then the doctor after lecturing cheapside again about politeness gave him back his job but the next day the rowdy little sparrow threw a bottle of post-office ink over the royal white peacock when he came to the houseboat with the king to take tea then the doctor discharged cheapside again in fact the doctor used to discharge him for rudeness regularly about once a month and the city mails always got tied up soon after but to the doctor's great relief the city manager always came back just when the tie-up was at its worst and put things right again cheapside was a wonderful bird but it seemed as though he just couldn't go a whole month without being rude to somebody the doctor said it was in his nature in the part two chapter two